My name's Fiona. I'm going to read the Bible reading this morning. It's from the book of Jeremiah, one of the three of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. It's Isaiah chapter 23, verses 1 to 8. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous saviour. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. But they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them. Then they will live in their own land. As I wrote in our church email yesterday, this week's been, it's featured news that's been um, quite traumatic, I guess, and burdensome. It involves three major, I kind of guess you'd describe it, three major examples of what's wrong with the world. Um, uh, Injustice, failure of leadership, evil, the sentencing of Cardinal Pell and the the analysis of that, the children's protest against the um, lack of action by our government towards uh, climate, taking climate change seriously, and, and the, of course, the massacre in Christchurch. And it would be reasonable for you uh, to be bewildered and frustrated and lost for words. How could all this be happening? Why can't the leaders of the worldwide Catholic Church get it together? and bring these abusers to justice and expose them and just end this kind of, this, uh, this culture? Why can't our political leaders um, uh, take climate change seriously? Why are they so sceptical? Why is it even, they, some of them think it's funny to bring, like our Prime Minister did before he was the Prime Minister, a lump of coal into the Parliament to talk about its many virtues. Why is there so much pain and suffering in the world and injustice? Why are people being persecuted? Why am I suffering? Why am I going to die? I mean, that's where you end up in this line of thinking, isn't it? When you start thinking like this, and I can understand that. How can we respond? How can I respond? What's the right way to respond? There's, I've been doing some thinking about the ways we respond. Um, this is one way we respond. You know, this is the way I'm not suggesting we should respond, but this is just what we do, okay? So, and it all starts with the letter D, happens to, anyway. We can respond through denial. We can pretend all the suffering isn't really happening. 
we can pay no attention to it. So I've got a friend who you just can't have that dinner table conversation about politics with because he just doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't watch the news. He doesn't read the newspaper. He doesn't click on anything on the internet to do with news. He's just not interested. So he doesn't even realise what half the time some of the tragedy that's going on. And that's a kind of a form of denial, I think. Another way you can respond is distraction. You can fill your life with whoosh moments. I've talked about that before. You know, partying, uh, travel, stimulating experiences, stimulating ele electronic devices, drugs, endless sexual experiences, binging on Netflix, whatever. Distraction, distraction, distraction. You don't have to think about it. Just put it out of, out of sight. Another way is D despair. And this is what so many people are doing now. So that's why in our country we have a rise in depression and anxiety and across the West in general. So for a while I've been thinking about the three Ds, but now I've realised there's a fourth D, which is death. One way you can respond to the existential crisis that we're facing and that's highlighted in a week like this week is through death, either your own death through ending your own life, and that's what a lot of people are doing. I'm not suggesting it. <laughs> or the killing of others. Think about what, what's happened in Christchurch. How is that that an Australian man, I think it was from Grafton, or, could be swept up in the hate of white supremacy that he should methodically carry out a terror attack in New Zealand? I, I was just in New Zealand. New Zealand's not the kind of place where this happens. New York Times columnist David Brooks, who's, you know, I love, I love reading what he has to say about social things and political things. He said yesterday on the PBS NewsHour, he said this, when asked about the New Zealand massacre, he said, we're seeing a culture cry in pain and rage and alienation, a culture that's divided, that is isolated, where people are lonely, committing suicide at high rates. And one of the things that some lonely people with existential angst do is they turn into fanatics. And that's been the case all through history. And we're just at the moment of just, of, of, of just cultural pain and you get these horrific outbreaks. Some of it is gentle, relatively gentle, screaming at each other about politics, but some of it's really bad. The suicide and the murder rate, the opioid rate, and some of it is horrific which is these mass shootings that we see across Western society. And it's just the definition of our cultural moment, he said. It's a movement. And then he says, it should be pointed out the tendency to go after houses of worship is not an accident. It's a form of anti-religion. It's faith or a movement of hatred. And he quotes um, a philosopher, theologian from the early 20th century, he says, Reinhold Niebuhr said back in the 50s that existential anxiety, if you don't know what your moral purpose is, you turn into a fanatic because this sort of white or black or any kind of racial power movement gives you a very clean moral logic. You know what your purpose is in the universe and you have a clear enemy you can go kill who, you, who are inhuman. And so it cures all your existential anxiety because suddenly everything is literally black and white. Denial, distraction, despair and death. Now, we're currently in this series on the, the biblical theme, as, as Diana said, of um, the Good Shepherd. And um, this is a theme that engages with existential crisis, the, the cry in the darkness. Because as we learned last week, the Lord, who is my shepherd, says the psalmist, 
leads me even in the dark valley, even in the valley of the shadow of death. He's there walking ahead of me with his rod and his staff, and that dark valley is that existential crisis that we all experience. Why is the world the way it is? And this morning, as we move to Jeremiah 23, a chapter which should be easy to remember because it, it's another 23rd chapter, um, we, we look at how Jeremiah riffs off Psalm 23 and applies it to the whole nation. See, back in 586 BC, which is relatively late in the history of the Old Testament, um, when the Babylonians and the Chaldeans destroyed Jerusalem, the prophet Jeremiah was um, in, in, a, in a kind of a situation of his own kind of crisis. He was under house arrest and at one point he's lowered into the cistern and, and, and he sinks into the mud there. And um, you'd think he'd all he'd give up at that point, but he doesn't. Um, Jeremiah expected his city to fall and he knew that nobody was listening to his message. But despite how bad things were for him, he took solace from Psalm 23. He took what was probably David's personal journey, King David's personal journey, as God led him through um, the darkness and, and then out again. And he reinterpreted that for the whole of Israel, their national journey, which they would go through. So let's look at some of these key, key ideas in, the, in these verses and um, see how it, remarkably, I think it is poignant for today, considering what's been going on in our crazy world. So the first um, kind of idea I want to, us to see in the passage is that God takes failure of leadership seriously. Um, God takes failure of leadership seriously. And I'll, I'll give you this, this one key sort of theological idea just to hold on to as we go through this whole, whole thing, is, and that is that we're looking at bad shepherds and the good shepherd and contrasting the bad shepherds with the good shepherd. And what the bad shepherds do, bad shepherds, so remember shepherds is another word for kings. The bad shepherds scatter. What is a shepherd supposed to do? Hold the sheep together. So a bad shepherds, a shepherd doesn't hold the sheep together. They scatter the sheep, but the good shepherd gathers the sheep. So just hold that into your, in your mind, that kind of concept. So first of all, God takes failure of leadership seriously. Look at the bad shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep. Verse 1, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. This is a general accusation at all the kings of Israel and Judah. They are responsible for um, their subjects being deported, taken away by the Babylonians during the invasions of 597 and 587. He's putting the blame on them. God is, so think of it like a hierarchy. God is like the senior shepherd and his under-shepherds are the kings of Israel. And um, this is a concept that goes into the New Testament. Jesus is described as that great shepherd of the sheep or, and in another place he's called the chief shepherd. Um, so God is the, the great shepherd looking down on his under, underling shepherds and saying, you've messed up and now look what's happened. Jerusalem is destroyed. The people are now in exile. God is angry. Now, unlike Psalm 23, where all we get is a focus on the good shepherd, Jeremiah is talking about bad shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep. There was an earlier good shepherd, an earlier King Josiah from the 7th century BC, who introduced many reforms, bringing the people back into line. 
But then more recently, bad shepherds came along and reversed these reforms. So they reintroduced the worship of idols and they neglected the poor, the widows and the orphans. These bad shepherds undermine the prophets of God. And so this is why Jeremiah finds himself down a well, abandoned and imprisoned under house arrest. Now, the Bible is full of bad leaders. If you read the book of Judges, um, and later in the year we're going to be looking at that, you get bad leader after bad leader who lead the people astray, cause them much pain and suffering. King Saul, the, the first king of Israel, was a failed leader who really messed up and he ended up committing suicide rather than being captured because the existential crisis leads to death, doesn't it? And while we're taught to realise that God still works despite human failure, nevertheless, he doesn't overlook the failure of bad leaders. Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 48, "'From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked.'" In a similar way, James writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So when we're in disbelief at the events surrounding Cardinal Pell, we should not think that God is just sitting back, sort of going, oh, oh, that was a bit of a stuff-up, wasn't it? This is a terrible thing precisely because God takes leadership so seriously. You know, we look at um, Senator Fraser Anning, who seems to be some enacting some kind of further hatred post the Christchurch events, you know, using hate speech, and we want him removed from office. Well, in our despair, we can remember these words, "'Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture.'" God takes these failures of leadership seriously look at verse 2 therefore this is what the lord the god of israel says to the shepherds who tell my people because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them i will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done declares the lord the bad shepherds have scattered the sheep done the opposite of what they should have done but here we learn they've been irresponsible as well they've driven them away So what God says here to the bad shepherds is like a double entendre. You've not bestowed care on them, so I will bestow punishment on you. Another translation is, um, these worthless shepherds have not attended to God's sheep, so I will attend to you. Look out for your evil deeds. So whether it's our political leaders or our church leaders, we need to know God is not indifferent to them. He cares greatly about how the people are led. In particular, he looks at the leadership of the people of God and he holds up a high moral standard. So I ask you to pray for me. Pray because I feel the pressure, the burden of leadership. And I know that it's really, really important that I do not scatter the sheep, that I do not lead the people astray, that I do not fall into moral um, failure. uh, Because it would be bad for me, it would be bad for the church, and God would hate that. And for those of you thinking about pursuing further leadership in the church, there are a few people in our congregation who are pursuing ordination at the moment, some who've just got ordained. 
also others who are not thinking about ordination but thinking about um, leadership in, say, maybe of a community group or becoming a children's ministry leader. Anytime you step into leadership, um, you're taking on more responsibility and God takes that seriously. Pastoral leadership, you're in the pasture with the sheep. It's shepherding. Don't be a bad shepherd. Follow the good shepherd. Be like the good shepherd. Secondly, this is where we can get some hope here. I just don't want to freak you out too much. Secondly, when there is devastation, hope does not die out. So the good news of this passage is that God, the good shepherd, will gather and bring back his flock. Look at verses 3 and 4. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The kings have driven the people into exile through their bad and sinful shepherd uh, leadership, their shepherding. The, the, the Babylonians have driven the, the people into exile as well, though, through their military power. And in a sense, God has also driven these people. So he's, it's like he's using the bad leadership and the, the foreign army to exercise punishment on, on the people. So it's not just that there are corrupt kings. The people are to blame as well. They too are corrupt. A fish rot, rots from the head down, as, it's, as they say. The nation is at fault too. So God is punishing them, punishing them all. Often in Australia, Australian culture, we just want to blame the leaders for everything but maybe we're to blame too. We vote them in. Maybe they just reflect our values. So thinking about Israel, if God is involved in their punishment, he's going to be involved in their rescue as well. And this is what the passage looks forward to. Soon the time of punishment will be over. God, the good shepherd, will take over from his bad under-shepherds. He will restore the flock and then appoint new good under-shepherds. And these good shepherds will provide good governance... And this good governance will remove people's fear. And this is what we've been dealing with this week, fear. That's what we need. Someone to remove our fear. Remember in Psalm 23, the psalmist will fear no evil for you are with me. And this comfort is repeated here in Jeremiah 23. They will no longer be afraid or terrified, it says in verse 4. Nor will any be missing, it says um, in verse 4 as well. So the psalmist um, from Psalm 23 was lost and then God had to bring him back. And this is what's going on in Jeremiah 23 as well. Physicists say that um, the second law of thermodynamics is that entropy always increases with time. In other words, eventually everything ordered descends into disorder and our world seems to be descending into disorder. Glaciers melting, bushfires in March the rise in strongman political leaders, Me Too movement, domestic violence. What's going on? The sheep seem scattered. And yet Jeremiah 23 promises hope that God will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and will bring them back to their pasture. He will reverse this chaos. And he has been doing it. He was doing it back then and he is doing it now. 
And there is a clash we, we experience now between this ordering process that God is, is unleashing on the world through the kingdom of God and the clash that it experience, we experience with the disorder of the world, the forces of this world. But God, the chief shepherd, will win. And this brings us to the last point, which was that incarnation was the only solution. See, hope didn't die out for Israel because God promised them a Davidic king, verses 5 onwards. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous saviour. Verse 4 says um, that God will place shepherds or rulers over them who will really look after them. And then here we get an uh, explanation of what that will look like. In the New Testament, this prophecy is then pointed towards Jesus. He's the ultimate great shepherd who provides the best kind of governance and leadership. Jeremiah dreams of a righteous branch that God will raise up who will be a descendant of David. Judah will be saved. Israel will be in security. And Jeremiah is predicting this future future uh, Messiah figure in, in, in the dynasty of David, a future king who will keep the law and bring glory to God. And because we have the whole Bible, we know that this is he's talking about Jesus who filled this, fulfilled this vision. This future Davidic king will come, but first God will bring his people back to their land so there's, more to come. there's actually a few things to come first. We'll look at verse 7 to 8. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them, they will live in their own land. So even before Jesus comes, the great shepherd, God will do this shepherding act of bringing people back together again. The bad shepherd scatters, the good shepherd gathers. This is how Jeremiah wants them to change our identity. He wants the people of God to not have an identity of, of disaster, of, ang of anxiety, of, of existential crisis, of thinking the world is ending because their world was ending. He wants them to look beyond that to the God who gathers, who's going to save the world. And this is what he wants for us too. We have to be a people who can, in these moments, we can pray, we can, we can weep, we can be angry, but also we need to have hope in the God who gathers. This brings us full circle. How are we to respond to sin, suffering, injustice and evil in the world? How are we to respond to the existential crisis? We can't deny it. Destruction is just shallow. To despair... Why should we be despairing when we follow the Good Shepherd? Death, well, that just amplifies the problem. No, we have to have hope in the God who will gather the sheep, who is gathering the sheep, who has sent Jesus, the Good Shepherd. We put our focus on his grace, on his justice, on his peace and his security. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we bring before you all these events in our world. These things are, seem beyond our, um, 
reach that we just don't know what to do about and we hand them over to you. We thank you that despite all this that we see, we can trust in you. Amen.